Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? This is the Traveling Image Makers podcast, and this is your host, Ugo Chay. Today, we're going to talk mostly about street photography. Whereas street photography is not necessarily practiced while traveling, many street photographers actually have become famous for portraying the scenes of their hometown, we think that photographing life in the streets goes a long way towards documenting the reality of the cities and countries we visit. Because of this, we often like to interview people who have chosen to practice this somewhat popular but often misunderstood genre, like our guest of today, Marco LaRousse. Marco is an international analog and digital fine art, street and documentary photographer based in Hamburg, Germany. He has a background in photography of more than 30 years, and in the 1990s he developed his passion for classic street and documentary photography. Marco is also an accredited journalist and a member of Freelance. He has also been producing photography-related podcasts since 2015. In 2017, he co-founded Photo Podcast Network, where he works as an editor, host and producer, together with our previous guest, Scott Bourne. Marco is very passionate about the power and importance of preserving contemporary visual memories for future generations. The ability to tell a story with only one image is what made photography his preferred outlet to express himself capturing unique moments to document our contemporary daily life for future generations is a challenge that keeps him motivated each day. His work has been influenced by the work of Mary Ellen Mark's style of documenting life with a lot of affection and respect for the subjects that are being photographed. So let's listen now to our interview with Marco LaRousse and you will be able to find this episode together with all the links to the web pages that were mentioned today at our episode page at ttim.photo forward slash 120. Enjoy! So welcome Marco, how are you doing? Hey, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really ha happy and uh, I've heard that you had my co-host for my show, Scott, on the other day. So that's great. Yeah, we had Scott the, uh, the other day. It was a great conversation. We mostly talked about uh, his wildlife photography. And I guess today we are going to talk more about street photography, which is a completely different uh, genre. I think they are what they have in common that you're both mostly shooting live subjects, right? He's shooting animals <laughs> and you're shooting people, which is still animals. <laughs> Yes, well, that is probably what we have in common. And I think that's what we get a lot of the feedback that we get from our listeners is that they find it very interesting that the shows that we do, Scott always does it more from a wildlife bird photographer point of view. I do it more from a street documentary and portrait photographer point of view. We both have done portraits also. Scott has done portraits in the past. Yeah. So, you know, this gives us a fairly wide knowledge about different genres that we can talk about and just makes it interesting and sometimes scott teaches me how to do bird photography and you know in, in your show he talked about the patience and he can sit on a on a chair and wait all day i'm not like that <laughs> so since we started talking about your your podcast together with scott Bourne, maybe you can tell us how how it started and how did you get together? I mean, so so different uh, sub subjects and genres. Uh, and wh where can people find it for those few who are not yet listening to it? Yes, and, and thousands of miles apart. You know, he's in yeah. Seattle. I'm here in Hamburg, Germany. So the distance, yeah, well, it started, I think, about four years ago when Scott contacted me because he wanted to do a show about uh, Fuji. And I, at the time, I was a Fuji ambassador. I'm not anymore, but I was back then. And he said, you know, he's heard me on a few podcasts as a guest. And he said, how about we start something about Fuji? And I said, yeah, sure, let's let's just do that. And uh, we started that four years ago. And it was amazingly quite a big success. But I think if you have Scott Bourne on board, it's not that difficult <laughs> because he's been there so long. He's so well known. So that really helped us kickstart this show. And then we just saw that we were hitting the limits doing a show only on one brand as much fun as that was so we took all the good stuff over 
to uh, Photofocus at the time, where, where I started to be a producer for a year and a half. And then we did a mirrorless show, we did a inspiration show, and we did that for a year and a half. And then we said, okay, how about we just do our own show now and uh, call it PPN, Photo Podcast Network. And we have one stream where we offer four, currently four shows, different shows each mm -hmm. month. So we have a question and answer show, we have a we shoot mirrorless about mainly mirrorless photography, inspiration, and also, also the news and, and technique. Then we have a more gear show where we really talk about the gear, but we always talk about it in a way where it's important what you use it for. What can it be useful for? Not only buy the new camera that makes you a better photographer because that's not going to happen. Why do you need that camera? What will you achieve by buying it? Why are certain filters good for what kind of photography? And You know, we always look more at the why before we look at the how in our shows. And the last one is the camera inspiration show. This is one of my favorite because usually I interview guests there about different genres, about inspiration, so similar to what you do here on, on your show. And it's, um, yeah, I think it is quite unique how we do different shows in one stream. And um, so far we've started this one 10 months ago and we're pretty happy with our listeners and the audience and the growth. So... So, yeah, but enough about that. So that's just how, how we got together. And I just thought it was interesting that you had Scott on, I think, five shows ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that's one stream with four. Uh, you alternate the different uh, shows, right? Every week is a, is a different one. Are you planning to, to expand that since you say it's a network? Or? It is a network. Um, so we started as a network within one stream. You know, I, I thought it was easier instead of having four different streams to do it all in one because... Yeah. We cover something for everyone. Uh, it might grow further. Right now, I'm at this point, and you know, I've taken over. Scott only comes to one show a month right now because you know he's he's the president of Skylum US now, so he doesn't have that much time anymore. And um, we'll see how that goes. If if demand is there, I will certainly try to fill it as long as it is something that that you know is interesting to me. That's that's one of my models in life. Try to to do your work in things that you're interested in and it's much easier and uh, people will be able to tell so I, I hope you don't mind if we spend uh, one more minutes maybe uh, on this and then we will talk about your photography but I mean you're the producer of this you do the recordings and everything and uh, uh, in case you want to expand it's probably already taking up a lot of your time and if you want to expand it into to more shows it would take up even more Um, so you're a photographer. So why do photographers like me and Ralph included do podcasts? <laughs> what's in it for us? What, what's your take on this? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I guess it just started in the beginning for me because I was passionate about, you know, the, the Fuji cameras were quite new. I was there, one of the first customers who bought this because I'm actually an analog. I've been photographing for more than 30 years. So I started with analog rangefinder cameras and uh, Fuji brought that back and I had DSLR cameras before and, you know, I didn't, I never felt really happy with them. It was hard to do street photography with them. They're loud, they're, they're just big and people will notice them. And, you know, I was more used to those small, small cameras that people don't really pay attention to. And uh, when Fuji came out with that, I was just very excited about that and I wanted them to succeed. And They came out with the interchangeable lens cameras and, you know, I thought, wow, that was great. And then all the people said, well, you know, if you're a real photographer, you can't use a camera like that, which I didn't agree. And I tried out and I just started to, to blog about it and talk about it without any further, in, you know, uh, reasoning behind it. I didn't get paid for that. And then uh, it just started like that. I just wanted to find a way to tell people my opinion and to listen, talk about other opinions, have guests on the show. I guess that's how it started as a hobby more, I guess. Yeah. But once you reach a, a certain size, I think it becomes so big and people expect you to evolve, I guess, technically. One, on the technical side, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff <laughs> involved in this. And also on the content side. So I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a photographer, but I'm also a journalist. And this has become part of my job now. Mm -hmm. I would say about one-fourth of my work week right now is taken up by podcast production. Okay, so finally, where can people find your podcast? Oh, just um, at uh, p 
PPN, Photo Podcast Network. I think if you Google that, you'll find it. Our domain is a bit shorter to make it easier. That's photopodcasts.com. With okay. It's plural because we have more than one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can subscribe and all that stuff. Like on your show, subscribe and, uh, and, and check it out. Okay, uh, definitely recommended. And we'll put a link in the episode post. Uh, but now let's talk about photography because I think our audience is more interested in photography than yes. us <laughs> talking about your our podcasting. So yes. um, I would like to... Uh, take uh, uh, an input from your uh, artist statement that you have on your on your website at marcolarus.com where you say that uh, you say things about the power and importance of preserving contemporary visual memories for future generations can you maybe expand a little bit on what you mean by that sure well i think that Looking at today and the photography and a lot of the things that we're seeing in our streams, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or wherever, we're seeing a lot of photos being added. And I think that right now, compared to 30 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, today we live in a world of saturation <laughs> in many aspects, but also in saturation with images. And a lot of images now are selfies and food photos. <laughs> I guess that's what Instagram has <laughs> turned out, uh, turned photography into. And on social media, I see many people present themselves in the best way. Well, you know, duck faces are the best way, but let's just leave that aside. What, a lot of what they perceive to be their best. Yes, way, exactly. You know, and and usually what I see or what what is shown to me are often those images that get a lot, lot of likes and that's people in very special moments when they're traveling or they're at a cool party, invited something, big dinner and or having fun with their friends. And I see images that looking at me and my life and even the close friends that I know the real life <laughs> in the real world, <laughs> that's not what 95% of their life is made of. Their life their everyday life looks different. So, you know, to me, I think all the staged images, all what we see on television, what we see in magazines, these home stories, that is not what our real world looks like. And I think we lose a bit of the sense and the impression of what real life is. And we chase the extraordinary moments instead of cherishing the normal moments that we really live in. And now to move over to the image side, for me, I think it is important to also show for future generations what our really life is made of, where we, we're not staged, where we're not expecting a camera team to come into our house or where we're not expecting to be shown how our work day is when, when they do some kind of uh, documentary on a movie star or a politician or something. That is something that I find very important. And I think the street photography, looking at the past, what we have now as visual records of, of history and the images that people are drawn to. I mean, Vivian Maya is one of these examples where people are drawn to these images totally where, you know, at the time when she took these images, they were maybe only seen as very ordinary and that's that's what we 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 need to be aware today also to take images that will be of relevance in the future of our daily life and one pick on our camera and inspiration show we have the guests usually pick one uh, inspiration photographer and kevin mullins you might be aware of mm -hmm. him he's a great wedding photographer from the uk he was on my show the other day and he introduced uh, james revillius to us, who was an English documentary photographer, and he was documenting the countryside life of a region called Devon between the 1970s and 1990s. And, you know, something that you might also encounter, people ask us, you know, there's nothing, nothing interesting around my neighborhood to see. Um, what should I take pictures of? I want to travel in order to see new things that are interesting and to take pictures of that. Well, you know, he took 20 years there in taking images around an area where you might perceive that it's boring <laughs> there's not much to see 
but he documented the life of the farmers. And since he always had a camera, they didn't even pay attention to him. And I think these images are absolutely stunning. I, I'm totally, totally drawn into them. So also for the audience, please check it out. James Revillius um, and his portfolio online. And these are the images that I care about. I don't want to see the duck face. I rather want to see what did people wear at the time, you know, and, and um, you know, going back, there are times, special times for, uh, you know, looking at the 80s, for example. <laughs> Just yesterday, my wife mm -hmm. came to me. She's invited to her 25th high school uh, reunion. And they have asked for people to bring pictures from the time. Well, there's a little shoebox with maybe 20 years of images, <laughs> 20 years of life from, from my wife, what she has in paper images. You know, at the time, mm -hmm. that's probably what people take in a day now. So many images you have. And she, she she said, okay, let's let's pick the interesting ones. And, you know, whenever you pick a box from the 80s, <laughs> we can only laugh at ourselves how we, how we looked in style at the time. You can't even imagine. It's coming back today. So it's style. It's it's what people do. People with mobile phones now is, is common. Um, in, in 2000, I did a series on that in, in Japan and Tokyo where people already had flip phones. And they were some kind of texting or they already had some kind of small version of internet, pre-version, like a web internet or something. They had there seven years before the iPhone came out. And they were already doing all the stuff. And I came to Tokyo and I said, what are these people doing with their iPhones? At the time, we all had a Nokia where we, if we had to, to type a short message on the buttons, you remember, you have to push yeah. three times to get the C. <laughs> that was no fun. So, you know, we were still calling people and we were only writing a short message if we really had to while these people were in their phones and that was just totally foreign to me so i made a whole series about that and today it's it's so normal you know mm -hmm. and um so so i guess what i want to say is that we should always be aware of of what is really happening happening in our life and that the the images that we take today will be the interesting images in the future the ordinary images. I'm thinking about our children. I don't know if you have children. Yes. And what they will bring to their high school reunion 25 years from now. I mean, my, my daughter is 19 right at the moment. So she, she will be in university soon. And 25 years from now, she might do one of those reunions. What, what she will bring there? Because she doesn't have a... Well, my children, my, my daughter is a bit of an exception because she wanted an analog camera for her birthday. So now she's taking photos that are only printed. Well, most of them she, she gets in a little USB stick from the lab and she prints some of them. But she does. She still prints some of them. But most of the, the kids nowadays will go to that school reunion with, uh, with the memories on their iPhones if they managed to somehow preserve them. That's, uh, that's something to, to think about or... Will these memories be lost in 25 years? I don't know. That's <laughs> yes, that, that was, would have been the, the answer if you would have asked me, how would it look like? Well, I'm, I hope that they have anything to show at the time. Just by what you said, you know, kids today, they have their iPhone. If you're lucky, they do the iCloud or whatever online uh, backing up. But if you're unlucky, the, the phone is stolen, the images are gone. Mm -hmm. and, and remember, you know, when we were younger, it was always the case that the, the finish, the last process of photography was when we, received, when we received a physical print in our hands. And that's not the case anymore. I'm a big proponent of backing up images and of printing. And I see in the background of your place that mm -hmm. you also print images. I think printing is very important and you should always allocate some money and time on the side to print your most valuable images. And if possible, don't wait till December because we're too busy there. Maybe once a month, take one Saturday, Sunday afternoon, go through your images and whether you print them yourself or you send them off to a lab, make sure you have physical prints. A physical print is there and the images on your hard drive, you can only see when you access them. So hanging them around your house, your friends will see them, your family will see them, makes everyone happy. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm actually guilty. I mean, those pictures you see here, me, here me, behind my back were printed some time ago, and I haven't not been printing much lately, so I should uh, definitely do it more. Um, I, I want to go back to, again, to this topic about the 
preserving memories, uh, especially in this day and age where everybody has a camera in their pocket. So billions and billions, like I, I don't remember the exact statistics, but there were some something, somebody was saying that every day more pictures are taken, more pictures will be taken tomorrow than have been taken in the whole history of photography or something like that. And, and I see people that are, aside from the duck faces and food photos and parties and so on, Lots of people are actually uh, doing photography in a more, uh, let's say, more seriously, more uh, uh, mindful way. And I see a lot of people into do, trying to do street photography, maybe just because they got one of those uh, mirrorless cameras that fit in a pocket and maybe everybody, they make everyone feel like they're Henri Cartier-Bresson. And I will admit that my X100S, when I got it first, it, it made me feel a bit like that. It's uh, it's retro looks and so on. So I, I still see that, uh, that there are people at least approaching the genre of street or documentary photography because they think it's maybe more approachable and easier. You can just go around in the streets of your hometown and take photos. So I, I'm not sure there is a, a risk of losing uh, those memories. Or maybe it's because most of the people don't print those photos and they will be lost. Right now they are in their hard disks, but nobody else, or on social media, but nobody else sees them. Yeah, I think the barrier to entry on street photography is fairly low. Because like you said, anyone with a small or with any camera, even with mobile phones, some people do it, but you just go onto the street and you click an image with, well, <laughs> with a person that, you know, street photos in my world don't always have to contain a person, mm -hmm. but they should have some kind of reference to civilization, man-made objects. It can be also structures. It can be signs, you know, shadows in the street. It can be animals, dogs, or birds living in our uh, in our cities that can all be part of street photography in my book anyway so I guess a lot of people are trying street photography and that's great but I think also something that we see and that's constantly discussion in forums is there is not really an overwhelming amount of great street photography mm -hmm. work that is pleasing to look at sometimes people are just you know just having a person in your frame doesn't make a good street photo there's a lot more to it to make it interesting and uh, you know th then there, there are different styles sometimes you know, it's, it's about juxtaposition to make a funny image this is a trend that we see especially from the UK and the US coming into street photography and this is extremely popular and difficult to do you know admittedly it's, it's very difficult to, to get these juxtaposition with interesting people to work but sometimes, as for me, it is more on the, on the documentary side. I'm more looking at it as an artist, and I think an image needs to be pleasing to look at. But also what I'm after and what I think for me makes a good street photo for me is if the image, the single image, can tell a story. As one point, you know, where, where a movie has about 90 minutes to tell a story... I think if you have an image, only a single frame of one one thousandth of a second, and the viewer of the image, who hopefully takes time to explore it, will, will think, well, if this was just one frame out of an image, what kind of movie would this be? Would this be a sad? Would this be a romantic? Would this be a funny movie? Would this be a, uh, maybe a thriller? And which character am I seeing here? And what is the character doing right now? What's in his bag? You know? <laughs> Is there a gun in there or does he have important documents to overthrow world government? I don't know, you know, so <laughs> that's, that's really what I want to see in an image. And that's what also I try to capture. And if I manage that people contact me and say, oh, you know, this image, I could see this and this has happened there before and after. I think that that's, that's the biggest compliment for me. If people take time to look at the image and start to have their imagination flow. And that's another problem. If you only see it on an online stream, I think the average image gets between two or three seconds before it's either liked or not liked. And you know, not looking further, you know, if, if, if it's just like a one-line joke. If the image is so strong that after three seconds you will like it, it is successful online. But I wonder if it is successful in the long run mm -hmm. as a documentary film. Since you mentioned that concept and uh, 
I'm going to ask you in as few words as possible, what makes a great street photo? Or uh, <laughs> how can you actually hold the people's attention for more than three seconds? I think there is no golden rule. I mean, there are rules we all know, and you should know the rules, which generally makes an image pleasing, the rules of third or the golden ratio. And I'm often asked by my workshop participants if I think about these rules when I take the image. And really, I don't because <laughs> you don't have time. It's so fast in street photography. You know, I, do, I don't do rapid fire. You know, I don't do consecutive uh, images. Mm. I only do a single frame like I used to do in film. And I still shoot a lot of film. So, uh, you know, for me, it is still about that one image. And if I didn't catch the right moment, <laughs> then I didn't deserve it. So this is what also makes this whole challenging and keeps street photography interesting for me. It's like fishing with a single pole. Sometimes you catch first fish, sometimes you don't. And it is, it is really what, what keeps me going there. So what makes the image interesting to me, I think I've just explained a little bit, however you capture it, however well the framing is, of course, you know, there's some aesthetics that the image should have. But does the image tell a story? Mm -hmm. That is really what counts for me. And when I, when I work as a curator, well, street photos usually can stand on their own. They're, they're single images and, and they leave room to interpretation by the viewer. While when I do a documentary, I have a certain, you know, there's usually more than one image and I have a certain reason why I do a documentary and I have a certain outcome maybe that I want to show. So whether it's a process of people working like a, like a farmer, days worker farmer, there, of course, I have a, I have a, a, a theme that, you know, I have in the documentary, but a street photo is always single photos and the story should be made up by the viewer. So I think that's really what you should ask yourself. Is the image interesting? Mm -hmm. And does it tell a story? And is this project that you recently started that is called Hamburg Streets and Staged kind of a documentary for you? Well, you know, we all should have projects. <laughs> and at the beginning of the year, that is always something that I always try to get someone on the show to talk about long-term projects. Just had a 365 portrait photographer from New York uh, on the show, uh, Bill Waldman. Uh, you know, I don't know how someone can manage to take one image each day, but he does. It's, he said, if you can, if you can eat, each day, if you can sleep each day, you can make time to take a portrait image each day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that it was an interesting way to look at it. And um, this project was for me, I was asked end of 2016, will you do a project? And I have a lot of long running projects, but I thought, well, maybe I should also do just limited to one year, 2017. And then I thought, well, I'm a street photographer. You know, I do a lot of other photography, but this is what I'm known for. This is what I love. Why don't I just do a documentary project in terms of street photography, single images, but throughout a whole year in Hamburg. And my rule was that from each month of the year, I need to have at least four publishable images. And that's what I did. So I started in January and I had four, four images that I published under this hashtag, this, this project. And then I continued in February, March. And so you see a little bit of the life in Hamburg throughout the year. You know, in the winter, you see them all with their furs and, and thick jackets, you know, freezing and the lake is frozen. And then you start seeing spring where people on the beach start already sunshine and, and you know, down at the harbor, they are already having fun. And then, you know, in the summertime, people in shorts and dresses and tourists with big sunglasses. And then, you know, towards the fall and into the winter where, where people carry Christmas trees. So I try to just do a street photography single image documentary throughout 2017. And that was a challenge for me. And I really enjoyed doing that. It was, it was a lot of fun. And who knows, maybe it'll be relevant in 20 or 30 years time. Are you going to keep doing that for 2018 or trying other projects? I will do other projects. This was a 2017 project for me. And uh, it, believe it or not, you know, even, even a four images a month project can be kind of challenging if you have a lot of other things going on. So no, there was a 2017 only for 2018. I'm not going to be doing this one again. It uh, maybe would be interesting to do another city, but then you have to do a lot of traveling. But I will come up with more projects in the future and I have current projects that, I, that I'm not going to talk about yet. Good. Look, looking forward to that. <laughs> Thank you. 
Uh, I would like to go back to the concept of uh, people having a camera with them every day and its consequences, especially the fact that, as you say in your your about page, cameras in public are nowadays increasingly perceived as a threat. So I think this is related to the fact that people take photos everywhere and every time, photos and videos and so on. So um, is is there a connection? I mean, what I'm seeing, do you see it as well? The fact that there are so many cameras around, and they are more and more perceived as a threat. And what can we as photographers do to, to mm. fight this trend? Well, you know, usually what happens is when you see a lot of something, it loses its threat. Mm. <laughs> you know, the first smartphones, you know, when people well, you know, the first people who had even a mobile phone or a smartphone, those were a little bit the show-offs. <laughs> I'm important, I need to have this. Now everyone has it. It totally lost its magic and it's normal. And it should be the same way with photography, I guess. When you're used to having a lot of people with cameras around, you shouldn't be threatened by that anymore. But I guess it's what's happening with these images. And, you know, like we've already established in the beginning, there's billions of images <laughs> floating around each year or each week even and not everyone is very restrictive with uh, what they post and for those of the audience who are aware of Bruce Gilden a Brooklyn street photographer who was who who is known for was known for that style of photography jumping on the street uh, scaring people with a camera and flashing in their face and to have these puzzled looks that is really what made his style of photography. And he was getting constantly into fights about that because, you know, I, I find it totally invasion of private space and, and threatening. I mean, people can have heart attacks, especially days like this where people are a lot of afraid of what's happening <laughs> outside. You know, if there's some kind of attack, so people just flashing you. So I guess it is, it is that that people, some people may be a little bit, bit pushy, with their style of photography when it comes to street photography and also what they post. You know, it is, it can be, there can be funny images, but making fun at the expense of someone is going to make someone upset in this whole process. And that's usually the person who's making, who's been making fun at. And I think that has probably happened too often that people maybe take images in a way that, is threatening and also post images that are not particularly flattering. And I think this is what might have influenced the public perception, at least in continental Europe. The rules and laws in in England and in the US are different as far as I know. But here, I think it has reached a level that people are afraid or uh, feel threatened by having their image taken by strangers in public space. Some people think it's illegal. There are discussions where people say, you're not allowed to take my image in public space, which, you know, I don't know all the laws for all the countries, but uh, in most countries, I think it is not illegal to just take the image. It's just what you do with the image. So here in Germany, I know there might be problems when you publish the image without asking for permission. We have some leeway in terms of art and, you know, I'm more in the art space. But I think, you know, from from that and from how the paparazzi photography in the past, I don't know, 50 years has acted, I think photography has been given a bad name in public, this kind of photography without asking. And real street photography is not paparazzi photography because we're not stalking a single person. We're not, you know, going after one person to to show something spectacular that we can sell to a tabloid. We, we, we really, you know, well, I can always speak from my point of view, but we try to to capture the beauty of life. Usually street photographers like people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like documenting. We like taking good images. And who is only after the fame where someone is being made fun of? You know, I don't have a lot of respect for that. I don't think we need that. And now that you ask, what can we do to change that? Well, I think if we if we all think a little bit more about the other person that we are capturing the image of, do we need to threaten them? I know I I photograph in a way that people will generally not even notice 
I've taken their image and I'm not doing this to be sneaky. I'm just doing that not to make them feel at ease because when you see your image being taken, you might be either confront the photographer or you might be thinking, what's so funny about me? Is it what I wear? Have I done something stupid? And this might leave the person, you know, maybe walking past you, but thinking about what they have done wrong and, you know, instead of really perceiving this as something beauty. So I think what we can do as street photographers is publish images that are positive. And I usually go by the rule before I publish an image, I will go through my internal filters in my head and think, would I be okay if someone would have taken this image of me and published it? Or even more, because I might be not so critical as, you know, I like this genre, but some of my loved ones, you know, could be your family. If someone take this image and, and publish it, would you feel okay with that? And would the person, the loved one, you think feel okay with that? And I think if you can make a positive check mark behind all those questions, I think then it's probably okay to publish this image. And um, yeah, so, and, and hopefully, you know, I always hope that hardly anyone has ever approached me about an image that they have seen of me. But one time it happened because one of my images I posted to Twitter and then one of the local newspapers used this images in, in a tweet and said, oh, what a beautiful day in Hamburg. Totally nothing to do with what I wanted to show in the image. But <laughs> of course, I don't know, 100,000 people in Hamburg saw this. And surely enough, an hour later, I got an email. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> from the person. It's like, you took an image of me. And I was like, oh God, what's happening now? And then I would really like a print. <laughs> this is beautiful. And I was like, yes, you know, this is really, this is what I wanted to happen with an image if it ever happens. So of course, I made the print and I met the person, invited the person for coffee and we had a nice talk. So, you know, I think it's up to all of us to give street photography a better name and to show the beauty of it. And I know that although on the documentary side, images that we take today might not be relevant in an historic aspect, history is back but looking into the future you know like the 80s pictures that we talked about now it will be and you know i go to a lot of exhibitions i look at a lot of photo exhibitions i go into museums and you know you can be sure if these are older images of the street and you, you stand in front of one of the nice images and you just stay there for 10 minutes there will be people coming by and saying oh look at that oh those cars can you imagine <laughs> man Life was so much more beautiful. If I would have lived at that time, I would have taken these images. And, you know, often I'm just tapping a shoulder at that point and saying, you know, <laughs> look out the window there. <laughs> What do you Is see? There? Yeah, all these ugly modern cars. I said, yeah. <laughs> But today's ordinary is the future's interesting. Yeah. And we need to keep this in mind. And if we do, then we start today and we... You know, we need a bit of patience, but in 20, 30 years, this might be very interesting. And just look at Vivian Meyer. I, I think that's just one of the reasons to buy the book. No matter about the story, you know, she didn't want to be known or famous. Uh, we won't know because no one of us can talk to her anymore. But her images, I think, are a very good representation of documenting the ordinary life. And it can all of a sudden become very interesting because it was unstaged. Yeah, I was looking at two photos yesterday, side by side. And one of the photos was of a line of people waiting for a subway train. And every one of them was looking at their cell phone, which today looks so common. And I mean, doesn't make for a very interesting picture. But on the other side, uh, just side by side with this one, there was a photo of a line of people. It was a photo probably taken at the turn of the 20th century. I mean beginning of the 1900s or the end of the 1800s, there was a line of people waiting for a bus on a street of some city, and everybody of them was reading a newspaper. <laughs> so I said, that was, uh, that, that, that photo, I mean, 100 years ago might have been not interesting, but it shows us how life was back then. So even the photos of people looking at, constantly looking at the cell phone, they tell the story of our times. And 100 years from now, we will have a brain implant so people will stop looking at their cell phones. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes. Or look at the, at the photo bill displays that look like a newspaper or like a book again. Who knows? But, you know, that's what I said earlier in 2000 when I took pictures 
of people in Tokyo with their with their keitai, with their mobile phones, doing already these kind of things that all of us do today. And you know, that's 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. And back then, I thought, wow, what are these people doing? And I think this has lost its magic probably eight years, seven, six years ago when everyone has a smartphone now and is, is only looking at that. Yeah, totally right, yeah. Uh, you just, you just well, before you basically answer the question that I, that I meant to ask you, and that was uh, if there is a kind of a rule or a line that you would not cross and you would recommend that people would not cross when taking photos of strangers on the street and you said basically that you would not uh, like to uh, if you would not like to be the person being photographed and published you would not take it so I think that's a, that's a perfect uh, golden rule for I might take it <laughs> yeah, but, but I might not publish yeah. it I do take a lot of I mean I'm even having similar images that Bruce Gilden takes these close up portraits but I do it without a flash and I do it in a way walking past people and modern technology cameras allows us high ISO, fast shutter speeds that they don't notice. And these images are my hard drive and they might become relevant in 20 or 30 years time. And I hope that people will forgive me if I ever decide to use them. But um, at the point right now, these are too intimate that I would not publish them yeah. right now. And this also ties into what you, you say again in your artist statement about uh, affection and respect, right? So it's, uh, it's important to, to show respect. And I think I would maybe use the word empathy to describe yes. what you just said, because you try to put yourself in the shoes of the person being photographed and you ask yourself, how would I feel if uh, my photo was published? Uh, yes. That's exactly what empathy is about, just putting yourself in the shoes of other people and try to to feel how they, they would feel. Uh, at the same time, it's not easy because, I mean, so some people, you said, uh, those people depicted in the photo that went viral with that tweet, uh, you never know. Some people might be, be okay with uh, being photographed even when they're doing something goofy or funny. Other people would just never want to their photo to be shown anywhere because they think, they think it's always an invasion of their privacy. So not easy, but uh, it's in what we can do uh, besides thinking, what would I think in that situation? Yeah, and if you know that you're very easygoing, maybe you need to think about the other people yeah. close to you. Like not I said, not other... as easygoing yeah. as, as yes. you are. And of think... course, we are photographers, so we somehow... Uh, don't feel like it's uh, it's a big thing about being photographed, but other people might think differently. Totally. I, I totally understand that people sometimes have a problem with that, and especially when they're not when they don't know about this genre that it exists and what the purpose is. That's why we street photographers are also ambassadors for this. And um, in ca in case of empathy, I mean, this is what I also bring into my other kind of photography portrait photography, for example, is also something you are a mirror to the subject that you're taking images of. And if you're not in a good mood, if you're pushy, if they see that you're stressed, it will reflect into their face and expression. So um, a great example and one of the photographers that I really respect a lot and I'm very sad that I've never been able to meet her in person is Mary Ellen Mark. Mm -hmm. If you look at her work, and she has done many different, she's done documentary projects of street kids in Seattle in the 80s. Uh, she has captured people at the, mm, at the border of society that she took an interest in, and they let her take these images. And if you look at her, at her style and her portraits and all of the other work that she's taken and done, uh, I really respect her. And this is the kind of photography that I am personally after. I know this is not for everyone, and I know that people may say those more pushy people, those more Bruce Gilden-style people, I don't like to be limited, but this is how I do it, and I have the right to do it. And in the US, you're more free, and I think UK too, about that. And But, you know, it's it just won't work for me, and I think for all of those who are pushy and who leave a bad tastes in people's mouths, 
uh, about the street photography are making it harder for the rest of us each day. And, you know, I, I never want street photography to be outlawed. And even Bruce Gilden, I met him here in Hamburg a couple of years ago, spent four days on a, on a Leica event here. And he said to me, you know, eye to eye, he said, well, if everyone would be taking images like I used to, <laughs> this would have been out, outlawed a long time ago. So he understands that, you know, it is it is his niche that he took and it made him famous, totally okay. But I think this is not what I'm striving after. And I hope not too many people are because it could really spoil it for the rest of us. And, you know, as an ambassador, maybe if I, if I can say this, uh, here in Germany, it is particularly difficult, I think, with street photography because the expectation of privacy in public is extremely high here. And I think due to that, those active and successful street photographers here generally have adapted a style that go a little bit by the lines that I've outlined here about maybe not showing people's faces and um, telling more story without really, you know, the, the, the person here in the, in the center and, and covering most of the frame is a style that I think makes German street photography a little bit different than maybe what you are used to from England or the UK. And because of that, I've teamed up with uh, two fellow street photographers here from Germany, and we have founded the uh, German street photography site. And uh, that is a site for German street photographers who do this really seriously and uh, have a nice body of, of work. And those are featured on a website because we want to create awareness for this particular street photography style here in Germany. And we also want to find more acceptance because it is very difficult to find galleries and museums who show contemporary German street photography. They will show Bresson. <laughs> they will show Elliot Erbit. I mean, these are the big names. But what about us? You know, what about our life here? And I've always found it a little bit sad and, you know, I do everything in English and I'm used to being all over the place. But, you know, people have asked me if I want to do more in Germany. And eventually I found these two fellow photographers. One is Siegfried Hansen, which people may know. Uh, he published a book called The Line. He has a very graphic style where people are never seen, their faces are never seen. And uh, Martin Waltz from Berlin and we've teamed up, teamed up and uh, started this side and we want to do more to help people here in Germany understand the street photography in an artistic way and in a documentary way. Great. Okay, I have one last question for you, which uh, is a bit of a thought-provoking, open-ended question, and you can take some time to think about an answer. And the question is, what drives you crazy? Hmm. What drives me crazy? Well... <laughs> Many things. <laughs> I have kids. No, they tend to do that a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm generally fairly easygoing. I'm, you know, what what I don't like in terms of photography. Let's just keep this to photography. I, you know, I'm I'm not so happy that a lot of in photography is so based around gear that so many photographers, well. No, not photography. Well, in forms, there's a lot of more talk about gear and the next best camera and what cameras are not good at. Whereas the, what are you going to do with it? Why is this camera not good enough for you? What would the camera that you really need to take out and not just sit in front of your computer and complain all day? <laughs> what would that do? And um, also, I don't really like the kind of clickbaiting that is happening everywhere but also in our industry where you just throw silly stuff out where someone some photographer made a fool out of himself a wedding photographer who flew a drone into the bride or something yes these are stories but i feel that too much is centered around this kind of sensationalism and these these clickbait stories and a lot of them are very thin and they don't really help us in becoming better photographers they just help people to jump on the wagon and complain and say yeah what an idiot and there we go again you know we're making people look bad why don't we just focus on the positive side and the creative side and let's let's rather find helpful like your podcast or other podcasts out there who help people and blogs who help people understand why so something is good or, or improve the workflow or how to print, you know, <laughs> how to go out and print and what print service to use. And I think that is what I would like to see more that we move toward and that is being more appreciated and that 
these are the blocks that get more hits instead of the sensationalism. Great answer. Like everything you you said, I mean, I really love this conversation we had today. We went into so many really good topics and I think people can get a lot out of this. So I want to, to thank you again for your time. And yeah, I've one last, this is really the last question. We already mentioned your, your website at marcolarus.com and we'll put a link to it. But if, uh, if there's uh, an uh, photopodcasts.com, did I say it right? That's yes, your, uh, photopodcasts.com, PPN. PPN, uh, if there are any pl- other places where people can find you online or if you have any uh, workshops or anything that you would like to, to mention, now it's the time to do it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you've already mentioned marcolorus.com. That's uh, where my portfolio, my blog is, and also where my workshops can be found. I also do individual workshops because I've realized that I have a big international audience and a lot of people, well, fortunately, Hamburg has become a really hot spot place to visit. So <laughs> we have a lot of tourism growth here in the past 10 years. And a lot of places have voted Hamburg as a place to be and visit. I totally agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living here, but I'm living here for a reason. I had the chance to live in other places. And it's an interesting photography and Euro lifestyle city. And I think uh, people come here. I've started to offer also individual workshops that people say, well, you know, I don't have three days on the weekend in May, but, you know, I'm there on these two days. Do you have time? And I'm offering that. And I, I love that because you can get so personal and uh, discuss uh, style and you know where people are at and and really have deep conversations where when you have uh, six or eight participants it is still nice because there's a lot of interaction going on and people are having fun together i enjoy those too but for the individual i think these individual workshops are good um yeah you've mentioned ppn for the podcast network so if your listeners have some time aside (laughs) besides your (laughs) great podcast the traveling image makers then uh, ppn we're happy to have uh, more listeners over there too and the third place where people can reach me and where i really enjoy being is twitter because twitter is something where you can interact you can share links people can can jump on the conversation you have a timeline where you see everything, you know, from your followers. People are not suggesting to you all the time what you should see and shouldn't see. So I'm I'm at Hamburg Cam, unfortunately. That's my handle. But if you if you Google Marco LaRue's uh, Twitter, you will be linked to at Hamburg Cam there. And um, it's really easy. If you have a question, just throw it to me there. And I usually answer it in a very short time. It's easier and faster than email. So um, that's where I want to be found. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram because I had to, I just recently, I think just two months ago, I moved over there when I took over all of the operations at PPN just to be there because I've been complaining about Instagram and people said, yeah, you've never been there. You should be there to understand how great it is. And I'm there and I'm still not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm enjoying that there are great images, but I'm not, in, the interaction there is just not, not the way that I would like to have it. So that's, uh, that's where I can be found. And I want to thank you and Ralph for doing this show because I think good good shows and where people spend time, invest time in trying to talk about that, what doesn't drive me crazy, what I've just talked about, I think uh, should be cherished. And I hope that uh, you listeners also take time to go to iTunes and uh, give you a five-star rating or a positive review or however stars, how many stars you want to give. But uh, please don't forget that uh, it's, it's a labor of love here. And uh, yeah. you know we are happy when we have more listeners listening to the work we create here. So please do that. So thanks for saying that. So I don't have to, to say it in my closing. <laughs> you already did the job for me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now that that's really all. And yeah, again, it was awesome. I hope we can meet someday. I come to Germany quite frequently. I'm actually going to Stuttgart this week, but it's uh, still quite away from Hamburg, but maybe yes. I will travel more north in the future. Who knows? Would be Great to meet up and uh, roam the streets of Hamburg with you. Or if you come down to Milan, just let me know. Well, for now, uh, all the best and take care. Goodbye. Thank you.